You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will talk about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic today will be on Vital Lacerda and our top three five-player games. Today is episode 18, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. And Matt's not with us right now. He will return on the next episode. And if you hear a little bit of uh, a drop in quality, that's because we're trying to do our part in social distancing and we're recording remotely. So just bear with us. We will be talking about some games played right now. So... Normally, I don't have a lot of time to play games at home, but for obvious reasons, that's changed a lot. So the household, which is me, my wife, my daughter, and her uncle and our roommate have been taking turns watching the little one while the other two play games. So uh, the games that I've played have been two-player games, not necessarily two-player-only games. Uh, The first one that we played was Photosynthesis. Um, it's an abstract game. Uh, I've heard it being described as the uh, cutthroat game of growing trees, and I think that's pretty accurate. Um, how it works two-player, I was kind of worried about it because the three- and four-player game is really tight and really, as I said before, cutthroat. The two-player game is a bit different, um, not as far as like variations go. There's not much different from that. But it's really kind of relaxed in the beginning and you're just sort of growing trees and then on the second like rotation of the sun which is like a whole round that's when things start getting a little bit tighter and and get a little bit meaner and then the third one it feels like this big rush to try to get everything so there is a variation that's a four rotation around the sun and i think maybe that would be the way to play for two players because that way you have a little bit more time to grow things because the board is a little bit more open. So I would like to try it that way, but I did enjoy photosynthesis at two players. All right. Um, Games that I played this week uh, was actually a lot of games on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, It's kind of been an interesting uh, way to actually get games played that previously... uh, were kind of either not available. I just people. I just don't have them, or maybe they're just like deeply buried in the shelf. Uh, so it's been kind of a good opportunity, actually, for me to kind of move online and play some games that maybe I don't physically have or what whatever. So one of the games I played this week was actually uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Viscounts of the West Kingdom is a new game uh, by Shem Phillips and. It's part of the trilogy, the new one, whatever it is. Um, it's actually kind of a deck building game, but it has the a conveyor belt of cards in front of you, which have actions on them. Uh, the actions kind of work like grifters in a way, but in grifters, there's a delay. Uh, that's another kind of deck building game. Um, actually, it's one of the games that I have really enjoyed. Uh, what I enjoyed about it is it uh, kind of feels fresh in a way because you kind of have this shifting tableau of actions in front of you. It's um, it's a deck building game, and that sounds kind of with a board though, uh, because deck building, pure deck building, I don't really enjoy so much, but with a board, um, 
and it's really well designed and I really liked it. I, I, I think I want to play that game actually more. I've played it three times already. Um, the cool thing about, uh, like I say, Tabletop Simulator is because it was actually on Kickstarter last week, I think it closed. So it's a, it was pretty awesome to like play a game that's actually on Kickstarter right now, which we usually don't get to do um, when we play with our physical copies. That's Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Um, really pretty cool deck building game, which I uh, usually I kind of lose interest in Shem Phillips games after one or two plays a little bit. Uh, this one, I think I'd like to play a few more times. Uh, so that's Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Risto, I have some questions for you about Tabletop Simulator. So with Tabletop Simulator, you you have to know the rules, right? There's no, there's the 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 simulation itself isn't blocking you from doing things that are against the rules, right? Uh, yes, Tabletop Simulator is scripted, but only the setup is scripted. Usually, there's a few exceptions uh, which kind of do things like. Uh, we were playing Clank in Space, actually, and it kind of shuffles your hands and uh, basically does some, like, maintenance for you. But it does not enforce rules, uh, so you can do whatever you want, including cheat. So you should probably, like, play with people who you know, uh, or just people that are, like, nice, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, it's basically a physics sandbox is how I would describe it. There's just pieces, and you can do whatever you want with the pieces, lift them off. They kind of snap a little bit, so it helps you arrange them in stacks and stuff. But it's just a, just a physics simulation. That's how it is. And, yes, I've been really grateful to actually have people who are willing to listen to rules because I've had to explain a lot of rules over the last week to the new games that I've wanted to play, but some I've played with a few people that are willing to to do that and try out new games. Uh, some of them are on Kickstarter, some of them were just like new or games that I haven't, uh, I never bought, but I wanted to try. So it's been kind of awesome, like uh, playing those kind of games. But yeah, it does not enforce rules. Board Game Arena and other places might enforce rules. Actually, Board Game Arena does. Uh, tabletop simulators, just whatever you want to do. Can you, you can even do like 3D stuff, like drive around like cars or whatever. There's like RC cards, cars uh, components that you can spawn on the table and like silliness like that. So, Can you take back a move? Like if, if somebody did something wrong and you're like, oh, actually that's against the rules and you could, can you just take back a move? Uh, oh yeah, you can you can rewind time. So sometimes things get pretty screwy. Like someone drops something and it like goes in a bag, or like things just get bad. Somebody somebody bumps the board and everything's ruined. So there's a nice way to undo time uh, and taking back an individual move. That's easy as well because it's like it, it like I say, there's no like scripting really most of the time so you can just pick up the piece that you just placed somewhere or like return stuff to the way they were and it's like a physical board game it's like a physical board game for most purposes but with like added ability to rewind time so you can go 10 seconds before 20 seconds before and it's really helpful is turn order scripted uh you have to arrange it manually, but it's pretty easy and you just push a button. It's very simplified. So it's, yeah, there's an option for it. It's just very, very simple. But I mean, you can take turns out of order if you want to be a jerk about it too. I mean, it's basically the same as playing a board game physically in front of everybody. You're just doing it on the computer. 
And you yeah. guys have been using Discord to like uh like voice chat during. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Discord, yep. Uh there's a built-in voice chat and I actually like it, but uh Mike can use whatever. People have wanted to use Discord, so I was like, okay, I'll use Discord, I guess. Gotcha. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, I've just I've never played any tabletop simulator or anything like that. So I was just very curious about how it works. <laughs> Yeah, the there is a little bit of a learning curve if you're just about to get into it. This is very relevant to the pandemic that's going on because there's, I think, an influx of people to the online systems in general, and that's just one of them. There is a learning curve into in as as far as like there's like shortcuts. For example, if you want to zoom in on something, it's either like M or Alt. If you want to pick up a single thing, you have to kind of like pick it up and drag really quickly otherwise it picks up the whole bag or the whole deck so there's little like quirks like that that you kind of have to get used to but once you get used to it it's like kind of second nature to me now it's pretty fun uh yeah so i was going to talk about our game of clank in space it was my first time using tabletop simulator for like a actual board game um i played the tutorial uh when i first downloaded it but I hadn't actually had a chance to play the real game. Um, yeah, it takes some effort to get used to, but once you get used to it, it actually flows really smoothly. I really enjoyed our game of Clank in Space uh, using Tabletop Simulator for kind of the things Risto was saying. It feels to me as close as you're going to get to like playing a board game over the table with a group of friends. Um, you can do all the same things, maybe a little bit more because you can like write on the board and stuff, which is funny um, if you're playing with people who aren't jerks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I'm interested to find out like what board game publishers and designers think about it because I'm looking at the games that are available on Tabletop Simulator and seeing, like Christo was saying, new games that are on Kickstarter. So I'm interested to find out if this is seen more as like an opportunity for marketing or seen more as like pirating a game. So I don't know. Uh, so another game I played is uh, Age of War. So it's another game that actually has a, it, this has a higher player count of I think six people could play it. It's a Reiner Knizia game. It's just like chucking dice. You're chucking dice uh, Yahtzee style and trying to match them to, I think they're pagodas or maybe like uh, castles that you're trying to take over. And the pips are like, there's like a bow and arrow and a horse and um, like this kind of, we call him redhead face. I don't know what he's actually called, but it's just like a mean looking red <laughs> face. Um, you're trying to match these symbols to these cards and you have to get line by line. So there's different lines that are asking for different pips of the dice and you roll and you have to get them in one roll. You have to get a line and then you can re-roll. Um, you can also, if you fail, you can remove a dice and roll again, like I said, kind of Yahtzee style. And you take over these things, which are points, but if you take over, like, there's set collection, like, different colored uh, buildings. So if you collect all of a certain type, then they flip over and they give you more points. But also, if you don't have all of the the colored buildings, then your opponents have an opportunity to steal them. There's an extra dice that you have to roll not an extra dice a, an extra symbol that you have to roll so it's a little bit harder to get them but when you once you flip them over then they are safe so um age of war 
I think works really well at two. Like I found it actually really fun, super fast back and forth. Whereas I've played this game at six. I mean, it's sort of exciting to like watch people roll and fail or, or like they need to roll two horses in one roll and they only have two dice left and they do it. And that could be really exciting, but it does take a while for it to get back to your turn. Um, like most six player games, but this one worked really well at two because of that. There's like zero downtime really. I mean, your opponent's rolling dice and, you're invested in what they are going to get or not get and then it's your turn all of a sudden so this might be like a consistent theme for me while we're uh self-quarantining is like these types of games how do they work well at two and i would say that age of war works really well at two i really like it at two all right um a game that i played uh was isle of sky with journeyman and druids i actually played that game uh very very late last night um and i think i actually liked it it was very cool uh it makes isle of sky kind of into a larger game it introduces basically that's two expansions by the way journeyman is one expansion and druids is uh another expansion so one of them is just an extra tile that you get uh with asymmetric player powers the other one is kind of like this board where it's kind of like an engine building board really um you get increased income and increased again like player uh, one-time abilities and point opportunities so it actually increases pretty much the whole game it makes the whole game kind of larger it makes the whole game kind of higher scoring um so our game went on for i think a good like two hours and a half <laughs> which is kind of a lot for isle of sky uh if there's any downside to the game i really like the way the expansions are designed and kind of what they do to the game because they take the game into kind of almost like this like uh, mid plus euro uh, area where previously it was kind of a little bit of a lighter game uh, however i am not sure about the increased playtime that you get uh, with those games uh, i think it's gonna go down if you play with the expansion more and more but there's just so many more things to think about and the game is kind of in this weird space for me where it's supposed to be kind of like a lighter fun game but it ends up uh, you can really sit there and optimize for a while like you can plan because now there's considerations of like you want to take something that satisfies the journeyman and there's another tell you're getting from druids maybe so what are people gonna do and basically it like increases if you already had ip using isle of sky this is just taking it to the next level um but like i say i think i really like uh what the game did to the game which is just way more decisions way more like exciting stuff that can happen uh just make kind of more game really it's almost like double the game with both expansions from the way the original was so that's isle of sky with journeyman and druids that's a that's the alexander fister game right uh i can't remember actually but it's probably true yeah uh there's an uve rosenberg game that i always confuse the two with it's a two-player game that kind of sounds like isle of sky do you know what i'm talking about uh not really is it the toweling game you're like toweling see i've never played the uve rosenberg game it just like for some reason the the names like confuse me hmm yeah it's the game i'm talking about is a game where you like you have three tiles and you axe one of them and you set the prices for the other two yeah that's the alexander fister game yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, justine do you know what i'm talking about the uve rosenberg it's a, like a big two-player game 
I'm honestly trying to think. Fields I'm looking Varla? it up right now. Yes, Fields, Fields of Varla. Yes, that's it. Oh. That's it. Yeah, it's a different game. It's more like a Grickle, I think. Fields of Varla. It's like, yeah. No, no, no. Game, so I the gameplays don't confuse me. For some reason, those names for me, like I always confuse them with the each other. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. there's enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. <laughs> that's, that's about that's it. it. <laughs> But yeah, um, that's that's Salskai. So this week, Matt and I have been playing games two-player because we're stuck in the house together. And uh, one game that we pulled off the shelf again and played last night actually was At the Gates of Woyang by Rosenberg. And I think this is one of my favorite Rosenberg games. I don't think I'd want to play it at more than two people because at the start of every round, you do like a card drafting phase that's kind of weird. And I think with more than two people, it would just take way too long. Um, I'm willing to try it, but I just don't think it would add anything to the game. But the scoring mechanic for it is unique and interesting to me. Um, Every round, you have this path that you're trying to get your little farmer up. And every round, the first uh, step is only one coin. But after that, you have to pay the amount of coins he's on, or he would move on to. So to get from... 10 to 11, you would have to pay one coin, but then to get up to the 12th step, you'd have to pay 12. Um, I think it's just a really neat, interesting little puzzle of a game. You're trying to balance the vegetables that you're planting in your fields with the customers that are coming. Um, The card drafting makes it a neat little puzzle as well. Um, That's At the Gates of Voying by Rosenberg. All right, so that was some games played. Up next is some games that we're looking forward to. All right, so some games. Actually, I just have one game that I'm looking forward to in particular. So I was unaware of this, but GMT has a series called Lunchtime Game Series. So they're smaller format strategy games designed by like the top GMT designers. that are typically between 20 and 60 minutes. So an example is uh, there's Battle Line, there's Rebel Fury, and Red Flag over Paris. But the one that I'm looking forward to is Twilight Struggle, Red Sea Conflict, and the Horn of Africa. So it's this one of the same designers, uh, Jason Matthews from Twilight Struggle. Uh, it takes Twilight Struggle, it puts it in a different place, which is Africa, and it is 35 to 75 minutes so a lot shorter than uh the actual twilight struggle game um the similar system in fact you could use the cards from the original game with this game or vice versa i haven't actually played twilight struggle it's one of those like bucket list games that i need to play but the time stamp on it being like through three hours like your first game for a two-player game has really like stopped me from playing it so i might just play this new twilight struggle and never the original but i am definitely looking forward to this and that's twilight struggle red sea conflict in the horn of africa interesting yeah twilight struggle is a commitment usually um Games that I'm looking forward to. I've actually been trying to play these games this week. Um, they're on tabletop simulator with people. I just haven't convinced people fully, or we just never had the opportunity with some of them to play them. Um, 
uh, Brussels 1897. That's basically, I read the rules uh, for it. It's Brussels 1893, the card game is how I would describe it. I don't know if it's officially called that, but it's basically the same kind of vibe and actually everything very much similar to Brussels. However, it doesn't have that little weird board if you know anything about brussels it has like a weird uh you select which part of the board you're using instead it's basically just getting cards and the majorities are in just columns of where you went to get a card uh so that's a game that i've been looking forward to it actually kind of looks intimidating when you put it on the table it looks like a really complex euro and it kind of is actually complex there's a lot going on for a card game i have some pretty good expectations for it but i don't think it's as scary as it looks so that's brussels 1897 uh the next game i'm looking forward to is fast sloths i saw that game being carried around at a convention we went to recently and i was became curious about it because it had this like huge box and the box is um, it actually turns out it's a family game a very kind of simple straightforward pick up and deliver type of game uh you're a sloths and you are lazy and you want to be carried around by other animals so like you move but you move using other animals around the board and they do weird things like fly you around or like fling you if they're the elephant or like carry you in a connection kind of pattern and if they're ants and you're just trying to pick up uh i forgot what it is actually like leaves or something um so it's basically just a racing game uh, family level that game i think would be better with like four or five so i'm just waiting to get like four or five people at the same time uh to suggest it uh sounds pretty fun kind of family level uh the board the the reason the box is huge is because there are huge boards inside and the play area is just really large and he just this decided to not fold it i guess for some reason it's a friedman freeze game so he just made like a huge box for it which kind of unusual box format as well kind of larger uh, another game that i'm looking forward to is billabong actually uh, um that's a really really simple game which you can play with just pieces and like a checkerboard pattern printout uh, abstract game it's very similar to checkers uh it's kind of racing around the pond just one time uh pretty cool though because you can jump your the theme is kangaroos and they're jumping over uh pieces other kangaroos actually uh and you can do these like long chains of jumps all over the place um and basically just kind of try to finish first <laughs> that's that's kind of the game uh i'm also looking forward to playing some board games maybe on board game arena um i don't know if you if anyone has tried to any of you guys have tried to log in uh or register for it because they actually close down registrations there there were so many people uh playing there there was an influx of people last week so i don't know if they've reopened registrations so if you don't have an account you probably can't even go on there but they're um again going with the theme of some games that i've wanted to play for a while but haven't um hopefully i can convince some people to log in and play some games on there with with me but uh, yeah, so that's all the games that I'm looking forward to and systems, I guess, <laughs> in Board Game Arena's case. Did you say Billabong? Billabong, yes. Like There's the uh, 90s several... clothing company? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it's called. I think it's, uh, isn't that an Australian thing or something? I think it's like, I don't know what it is, an area in Australia or something? I don't know. 
I mean, it sounds Australian. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I've heard. Yeah, it's like the clothing brand, though. It's it's actually a really old game. I think it's from the 80s or the 70s or something. Um. Okay. So this week I have two games I'm looking forward to. The first one is um Venice. It's from the publishers of Ragusa. It's not the same designer, but the same publisher. I think they're called like Brain Crack Games. Um, nice. It looks old. I have to say from the pictures on BGG, it looks like an old worker placement game. And I don't know, that just really excites me. Um, like Ragusa was the same thing. It looked and felt like an old game, but it's still way fun to play. This one, it looks like you've got boats that you're driving around the canals of Venice. There's worker placement spots. I don't know. It just speaks to me. It looks like a game from a long time ago. I'm excited. Um, the second game I'm interested in playing is uh, Mercado de Lisboa. It, it takes the tile laying system from Lisboa, uh, basically turns it into a whole game. Um, it's credited, or it's they call it a filler game on BGA or BGG. Sorry. But uh, it has Vital Lacerda as a designer, so I'm really interested to see his take on a filler game because he doesn't do filler games. Um, so that's uh, Mercado de Lisboa. Yeah, I remember Matt talking about this on a, some previous episodes. I, I am really curious to see how um, Lacerda designs a filler game. Like most of his games are these right? big like kind of complicated games, but I think it's would be almost more difficult to take some of his ideas and condense them down to something that takes only like 30 minutes. So yeah, I'm very interested in that as well. Yeah. yeah. Sounds interesting. Um, I was wondering what you meant by uh, looks old for Venice. Looked it up and yeah, it looks pretty old. <laughs> right? It's just like, it's the choice of color scheme. I think they painted all these like roofs and stuff and the whole board looks very kind of like drab in a way. It, no, not not bad. It's just kind of like a lot of uh, orange, uh, red or whatever. All right. It's interesting. Well that was some games that we're looking forward to. So up next is our spotlight on Fatal Lacerda. All right. So Vital Lacerda is a game designer, a game designer that we are all pretty fond of. Uh, Vital Lacerda is a Portuguese native born in Lisbon in 1967. Um, he designs games that are renowned for being incredibly intricate, both in their mechanics and themes. And for Euro games, this is no easy task. So I'm going to list everything that he's published so far. Starting in 2009, he did an Age of Steam expansion, which is Portugal. And 2010, Venus. 2012, CO2. 2014, Kanban Drivers Edition. 2015, The Gallerist. 2016, he went back to Vinos and did a deluxe edition. 2017, gave us Lisboa. And 2018, CO2, Second Chance. 2019, Escape Plan, Dragon's Keepers, Dragon Keepers, 
Railroads of Portugal and On Mars. That Those are all published in 2019. Um, so games that are going to be published, uh, like Justine mentioned, uh, Mercado de Lisboa and Kanban EV is now on Kickstarter. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is your like top Lacerda games? Like what's some of your favorites? Um, I liked most of them, honestly. I think um, On Mars right now is probably one of my favorites, but that might just be recency bias. I also know I really like Lisboa and I really like Vinos. Um, I still haven't played the new version of it, but I don't know. I'll stick with the old version. I think I like it better anyway. Yeah, I've actually played the old version and using the new version. You can do that because he printed both of the kind of board variants uh, in the same box. Uh, I like both of them. The new one is streamlined. The old one is kind of more game, actually. There's uh, the, the bank thing is uh, more fascinating, I think. So I think both of them are kind of fun. Um, I think both of them have merits. My favorite's probably Lishboa, actually, I'd say. That's just like kind of... I, I feel like that's kind of his masterpiece. It's the most like... I think flows really the most when it, when you learn it because the first the first time I played the game I was like what the heck is going on which is kind of my feeling about most of his games but once you learn the game I think it's actually it gets kind of very like smooth and kind of very subtle the interactions on the board are very subtle um, kind of just it's kind of the coolest one uh, if, if I had a second I'd probably say actually on Mars I've only played it uh, one time though so I don't know if, uh, how, I, how I'm going to feel about it after repeat place but that's pretty much it so Lishboa probably on Mars yeah Lishboa is definitely my favorite by far and um, it, you know what's really intimidating when you first learn that game is the player aid it comes with like a menu but you quickly realize that it's not it's not like it's not that bad because it has a list of these certain tiles come out and they just tell you like what the tiles do so it's like really helpful and it's not as intimidating as it seems um my second would probably be Venus, uh, but i've only played the the most recent edition i have the eagle griffin edition that Hristo was talking about where so the flip side of the board is the older edition i believe the older edition is what's your game right justine yeah it's what's your game yeah um i need to play kanban it's on my shelf i've never played it and i need to get and play co2 i think on mars is a good contender for probably second but i need to play it more um so he has made a couple games when he was a kid and he created like house rules to a lot of the, like the classic mass market games he even said that he has a monopoly set of rules that doesn't use any dice so i was wondering <laughs> what would you guys want lacerda to like remake as far as like a classic board game goes with like the lacerda treatment on it um i think it's actually i was gonna say uh the, the one game that I really kind of think, I wonder what people might uh, do with is actually like Sorry or Pachisi or something, basically like a roll and move. I think it's an interesting exercise uh, with different designers. I feel like uh, basically, for example, Feld's attempt was Merlin. Uh, that's kind of what you know it kind of has the vibes of that uh, obviously Luxor Luxor is another one but I kind of wonder like what someone 
like him can come up with if there's a framework of just kind of like a roll and move around the circular track or something that that's an interesting thing to think about another thing that i actually would like him to do maybe is a kind of an area control actually i don't know i don't think he's done anything kind of escape plan has some slight elements really but not really no you're just kind of avoiding really uh conflict in that one i've kind of I wondered if he did an area control, what it what would it look like? Some kind of area control game. Super complicated. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds a bit a little scary, but uh, I've wondered about it. That's it. Yeah, so you know this one was kind of oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, yeah, Lisboa has sort of like an area majority thing in the like the marketplace area, but I don't know. It's not really area yeah, control, yeah. right? But yeah. Um, this was a hard question for me, um, and. I'm going to get crap for this, I know. But I kind of want to see him like remake Candyland because to me that was that was like my first board game. And yeah, it's not great. Like it barely counts as a game. Your cards off of a deck and moving to the color. Um but I don't know. That game, I see it on the shelves and the old classic art just gives me nostalgia. Uh, it would be interesting to see what he could do with it game that there's already that feeling around you know yeah i have a stupider one uh <laughs> mine is mousetrap all right so or a game like mousetrap you know there was like this surge of games in the 80s that had these like moving components and it was really just like a gimmick but i would like to see a designer like him wrap his brain around something like mousetrap that actually like works i mean the thing about mousetrap is like most of the stuff didn't work even so you'd like get to a <laughs> spot and be like i want to see it go and it just wouldn't um but so like not necessarily like dexterity, although that would be a cool thing to see him design as a the complex dexterity game, but not necessarily dexterity is what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just like a board that like has physical aspects of it, like moving and interacting with players. So, yeah, um, he actually said that he never thought that he could design games for a living. He didn't even know that this was some kind of profession. So I'm wondering what you guys what would you guys guess Lacerda did before board game design? And if you actually know the question, then just don't answer it. <laughs> no, I actually don't know anything about him, and I wanted to like not look either. So I'm going in completely blind, which might be way off. But my usual bets, and I have to go with like the best bet, especially with someone who makes complex games, is something like mathematics. So I'm gonna just guess like some kind of a math teacher, maybe university or high school math teacher. That may be way off, but that's usually my guess when like uh, for board game designer there's a trend with like either program or mathematics so i'm just gonna go with like mathematics teacher or something that's yep yeah, that's my guess <laughs> I, what do you think justine i was gonna go with either i'm gonna go with either something field so like a programmer something like that especially with him being born in you said the 60s yes yeah, that was huge that was like he was coming up when it was getting big or um some kind of research Sure. The level of detail and depth that he puts into his games, like he has to have some good research skills. Yeah, that's not a bad guess. Yeah, right? his because games he, are kind of very cerebral and. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he obviously does tons of research for his themes because they come through so much, and they actually can teach you a lot just by reading the rule books of his of his games. Um. So. The answer is Lacerda has a master's degree in marketing and advertising. He worked as an 
advertising agent for 20 years doing art direction and eventually owned his own advertising company. Um, he was also a gamer, and since his first and second games had some success, the door started opening to like publishers starting to contact him for more and more games. Um, he started spending less and less time um, doing advertising and more time designing games, eventually leaving advertising altogether. So yeah, advertising, which maybe would not have guessed. That's really surprising. Yeah, <laughs> actually, but it probably helped him with his board games, right? I mean, maybe he jumped in on the advertising bits with some of his board games. I don't know. Um, he said that art is one of the most important parts in in the game and it's hard to mention Lacerda without mentioning Ian O'Toole. Ian O'Toole is an Irish artist living in Australia whom he's been working with for a long time now and has done art and graphic design on most of his games to date. Um, a board game relationship that makes like a lot of sense to me since Lacerda games range from several different themes and O'Toole being such a versatile artist and is known for being a heavy gamer himself even playtesting some of these games with Lacerda. So I wanted to know what's some of your guys' favorite art in Lacerda games from O'Toole? Um, I'm actually going to uh, say Lishboa. And the weird thing is the first time I looked at that game, I actually remember very distinctly looking at that game and actually kind of not wanting to play it at first because at that time when I was looking at it, I kind of wasn't into like as heavy games, I think. And actually the art was kind of a turnoff at first. It was kind of interesting because it kind of didn't really click with me. I'm, I wasn't huge on it. Uh, but since ever since I learned the game and I played it several times and I've played it like, I don't know, like 10, 15 times now, lost count. Uh, um, the art has grown on me a lot to where I th think it's actually really kind of elaborate, really cool, uh, really like, I think, uh, period accurate or whatever as well. I think uh, basically it's like Portuguese or something, if I remember correctly. I haven't, I haven't looked into how like really accurate that is or whatever, but it just looks awesome. And it's definitely grown on me uh, since I looked at the game for the first time, uh, along with the actual game too. Uh, I'm not sure if I liked it, that my like first two, three plays of it, but the more I played it, the more I understood how to like really control the game and kind of like subtleties about it. Um, I'm just going to agree with Risto and say Lisboa. I love the blue and white theme. It kind of mimics the Portuguese porcelain that they do. Um, I also just love all the little details in the artwork like on the board there's cracks in it yeah where the earthquake came through the um the three people in the court look amazing i think the art for it really sets the tone it's great art yeah, yeah I mean actually that's funny but I was thinking about exactly the same cracks on the board and stuff like uh, the tiles have little shadings and like little lines and just the attention to detail on most of the pieces in the board is pretty cool so I was actually thinking the same thing as I was talking about it I just didn't say anything about it it's like yeah it's pretty awesome yeah Lishbo has got to be my favorite too it's so elegant looking and um, and I, I have looked this up and it is historically accurate of those times for Portuguese art um, but I do want to mention the gallerist because it's m more like the graphic design that I really appreciate about the gallerist for some reason it reminds me of like a 90s video game which like sounds kind of bad but 
I actually really like the way it looks. I was going to ask, so when Ian O'Toole's doing the art, does he just do the art for the board or is he also in charge of like color palettes for the meeples and stuff? Because I think that in the gallerist is amazing. I love purple and the brown and the white meeples. He does do graphic design on all of his games for Lacerda, at least, that he's done the art for. He's done the graphic design as well. Um, the color choices, I'm sure he has a lot to do with. I'm not sure how much Lacerda has to do with it, but I would guess that Lacerda has something to do with it because it seems like all of Lacerda games have the more interesting player colors, right? It's, they always have that like that certain kind of purple, that like pastel yeah. purple and and like a turquoise instead of a green. So I'd imagine Definitely. that maybe Lacerda has something to do with that as well. So about his own games... To people that have never tried one of his games, this is a direct quote from him. This is what he says. He says, be patient. The game at the beginning will be hard for you, but if you really like the game and are really willing to play again, you will be rewarded because you really need to learn to play, to understand the game before you start taking joy in it. Um, so I would say it's safe to say that Lacerda games have a lot of replayability, and I'm curious on your guys' thoughts of where would you say this replayability stems from the most? Um, I actually want to say that a lot of people, when they say replayability, they mean like variable setup, but to me, Lacerda's games are not really about the variable setup. Actually, in a lot of games, there's kind of isn't that much variable setup. I think the his replayability comes from just the things you can do in the game. There's just so many options. There's almost like a waterfall of you do one thing and there's like ripple effects five levels down kind of. Of a kind of a thing, and I think that's where replayability comes from. Is see what people do on their turns, really, and how they kind of shape the game as they play. Which I think is actually a way better way to do replayability is to be able to do kind of different things in the game and do different actions in the game than have variable setups. Uh, I think if your game has like variable ways to play, the game is way better than having a variable setup up front. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's my impression is basically choices people make might lead you to different paths in his games uh, because of the plethora of just choices that you can, the things you can do in his games. And even like the choices in your turn, like it seems like a hallmark of Lacerda's games that every choice, every turn you take there's like a main action and an executive action and the main action you do this and this and this and this and then the executive action you do this and this and this so even your turn is going to be um a huge decision tree then you add that into taking however many turns in a game i think it adds to the the replayability of it yeah, I would definitely agree with what you guys are saying. What I would add to it is like, I feel like for me, when I play his games for the first time, it's all about learning them and getting the rules like completely right because there's so many moving pieces to it. So I feel like my first few plays of the game is more learning the game and then the strategy comes after that. And the strategy for me will really boost the replayability and trying different things, as you guys have said. Um, he's known for doing some of his playtesting on Tabletopia, 
and even open to playtesting with the general public on Tabletopia. So if you go to his BGG page, you can find his Discord channel and supposedly you could like link up and try to play games with him. So that's pretty awesome. Um, so if you guys were to play any game with Lacerda to like pick his brain about the theme or the mechanics or anything like that, what, what would it be? Uh, for me, I was thinking about maybe the gallerist actually. Uh, I like the gallerists. Uh, I feel like we should maybe play it more, uh, but I was wondering about basically how he came up with some of the things that are going on uh, in there. It's kind of a weird game in a lot of ways. So just I, I would just ask him about kind of what the inspiration was for um, some of the decisions in that game. I'm thinking about particularly maybe the people moving from like a central plaza mechanic. I think that's kind of interesting. And I mean, everything makes thematic sense, but kind of just ask him about how that whole game came about because it's kind of different from i think his other games in a way i think it would be way fun to sit down and talk with him about venos um do like a wine tasting play through that game talk about the decisions that went into making the newer version um some of the thematic decisions that he made um the research that he did for that game I think would be a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah, so I want to sit down and play Escape Plan with him, mostly just to like geek out about like heist movies and like Tarantino flicks because he like he like has quotes throughout the whole like rule book and I think on some of the cards too maybe. Um, so obviously he watched a lot of these, maybe in with with research or maybe just because he has the love of those movies. So I think it'd be a lot of fun to sit down and play Escape Plan with him and just like geek out about these these movies that I also love a lot. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to mention about Lacerda? Uh, no, just in conclusion, I guess uh, you were saying it uh, with re replayability, it takes a few games to uh, learn the game. Uh, for me, actually, a lot of games are kind of exciting until I know how to play them and they kind of lose some of their shine a little bit. Uh, with Lacerda's games, actually, it's maybe the opposite, which is kind of really good. Uh, I think it speaks really highly of his games. It's kind of when I play them first, I'm not sure what to think about them. And as I play them more, it's kind of like, oh, wow, this is pretty awesome, actually. And now I understand how to control the game. And actually, I kind of want to play them more the more I play them, which is the better outcome as opposed to, you know, they're more exciting. And then like, oh, okay, now how this game works now and it's less exciting. So I think uh, he's definitely got this like really cool way to design games where because of that action waterfall and just so many moving parts, they really continue to be exciting to play. Yeah, it's a good point. And I would just say that the time commitment it takes to get into one of his games, to learn the game, to play the game a couple times before you're confident with it is well worth it. Once you are like 100%, you know exactly how to play the game, you're still going to have fun with it no matter what. I mean... There's just, like Christo said, so many different options to explore and things to do. For sure. Yeah, Lacerda is awesome. And that was our spotlight. So up next is our top three five-player games. When you go to a board game meetup, there is often a player count that is dreaded, and it is the number five. 
I guess two player game. Well, I guess the worst one would be one player, right? You show up to a board game meetup and you're by yourself. <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> but yeah, two player might be second to that. Although Christo and I have had to play a lot of two player games at the meetup that we uh, run, but now it's like flourished. But before then, Christo uh, and I would have to just play two player games, which actually to me wasn't that bad as long as you're prepared. But five player games is, I think, a dreaded i i would say some people in our group even stay home when they hear that they would be the fifth player but um i think all of us at cards and cubes has stressed that if you are prepared for five players you can actually get some pretty good games at the table so that's like what i focused on in this top three was like these are the games that you don't you could bring and not have to dread the player account yeah, the way I made my list was kind of, there's actually a lot of games which technically work with five, but do you really want to play them with five? I'm thinking about kind of games that just explode in uh, both playtime, actually, and maybe also chaos, because there's just so much time in between your turns and people do different things, and basically, like, it cuts the score significantly because five people are fighting for the same thing so i've kind of kind of made games which actually uh don't just say five on the box and i enjoy playing they actually play well with five they don't explode in playtime or chaos i think they're designed to play with like kind of a higher player count exactly the same for me i picked games that i actually would enjoy playing at five rather than just games that i can play at five yeah all right, so let's get into it. Number three. All right, so my number three is Raccoon Tycoon by Glenn Drover, which might have been an unfortunate name in elementary school. It came out in 2018. <laughs> Uh, some of the games that he's designed is like Age of Empires 3, Railways of the Road, and the 2002 version of the Civilization game, Sid Meier's. Uh, this game is definitely different than any of those games. It's pretty simple, almost family weight style game of just like auction and set collection. And it works really well at five. In fact, I think I'd rather play it at five because of the, the auction aspect of it. And it's just like something that I've played several times and it's not perfect by any means. So let me stress that because there are some tiles in there, especially if they come out early game, uh, can really like break the game. Uh, I found myself even taking those tiles out of the game because they're just like really cheap for what they do. And I've seen strategies where the person gets the tile early game and just wins. So I'll take those out, but it's uh, a type of game that you shouldn't take too serious and you should just have fun with. So maybe you should leave it in. I don't know, but yeah. So that's my number three is raccoon tycoon. I really like raccoon tycoon. I think uh, the art is amazing. Anthropomorphic animals and they're drawn really like awesomely. Uh, the game itself is a fun auction game. Yeah, I agree. It's a little bit weird. My number three though is, uh, Ethnos. Uh, Ethnos is actually a game that we played a few times and we kind of haven't uh, for a while. But I actually really enjoyed that game. I think it works better with more people because it's kind of an area majority game. Uh, when I say area majority at five, 
Uh, it actually goes up to six, but uh, five or six sounds really bad for your majority. But the way the game works makes the gameplay kind of faster because turns are very quick. Um, you either pick up a card, if I remember correctly, or like you play a set of cards and you just do something. And like the turns are pretty snappy and it, it works well. It doesn't explode in playtime. Uh, it's fun. Uh, basically, the game is you play these uh, creatures to get a majority in different lands, really. And the creatures have special abilities, and there's a fancy drafting way of you can either pick up cards from an open display of cards or reveal more cards, but they might not work for you and they might might work for the next player so there's like a kind of a push your luck tension there whether you should kind of drop cards out of your hand if i remember correctly ethnos is a really uh cool uh five or six player game i enjoy playing it every time so that is ethnos um my number three is in the hall of the mountain king we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast it is a game that does go up to five um, in this game, you are building your tunnel network inside the mount. Um, it's not classified as like an area majority area control game, but it ends up kind of having that feel because you are racing to get certain things on the board, you're racing to get to the middle, or you're racing to get these great halls that you can place on your tunnel. Um, with a five player game it also gets to the point where the actual tunnel pieces tend to get really by the end of the game there's limited tunnel pieces there's limited great halls um i just like that aspect of the gameplay that at the end there's kind of that limit to what you can really do it's in the hall of the mountain king yeah i still need to try this game uh, you know the thing about Ethnos is for me is it seemed like they took a uh, they took like the ticket to ride system and made a better game out of it. Really, like the card system seems really similar. Yeah, I really think it's different though because uh, there were I can't remember details, but like uh, ticket to ride is kind of like draw cards or hope that the right colors come out. I mean, it's kind of the same, but there's way more interesting decisions in that. Like you say, yeah, basically it's like way better than to, to me. Yeah, when you play your handout in Ethnos, it goes to the draft pile. So you at any moment, you could have this influx of a bunch of cards come out rather than just uh, three, you know? So yeah, definitely better. Yeah. Number two. All right, so my number two is Klondike Rush. Just like Rat Raccoon Tycoon, the designer uh, kind of went out of his element here. So this is by Ryan Lockett. Um, it's an economic stockholding auction bidding game. Pretty straightforward, uh, except the, the strategy is kind of takes a little bit maybe to wrap your head around. You're just like ex expanding your uh, little camps everywhere and buying stock um, from cards. Uh, into different colors that are kind of moving around on this market. So, uh, you know, I, pl I first played this game as a two-player game. I just played it with me and my wife, and we were about to sell the game. That's how bad it was at two players. It should not even have two <laughs> players in the box. 
it should be like three to five. And honestly, I think even three wouldn't be that interesting, but we played it as a four player game and I was like sold. I was like, this is really cool. And I could see it working really well at five and it does play up to five. And uh, yeah, that's Klondike Rush. I think a lot of auction games are like that. Actually, kind of the more people you have, well, up to just the way the number of people board games handle the better. Um, my number two is uh, Mission Red Planet. It's or Mission Red Planet second edition, really. There's a first edition with, like, I think, worse looking art, in my opinion. It's a little bit like weirder and older, but I think actually the game is the same. Um, I don't think anything's changed as far as gameplay. Edition, you like. I like the art in the second one better. Um, it kind of reminds me of Libertalia, actually. It's a game where, like, a bunch of play cards and they kind of resolve in numerical order. Uh, the cool thing about uh, Libertalia Mission Red Planet is it's not just, like, kind of take cards, which is what some card games are, like Six Names or whatever. The cards have special abilities and it translates into this kind of uh, mini or mini game. It's really the game of area control on Mars. Uh, so you kind of load up these rockets and there's this like thematic like nine, eight, seven, six, four, and then you launch the rockets and they and they land on Mars somewhere and there's like an area control slash majority game going on there. It's really control because you can actually remove people as well. Uh, with some goals, with some resource generation. Um, I think that's a game where, again, I think two or three player would be kind of way less exciting than five. I th think the game plays best at the, the full player count because you kind of, usually you don't want the chaos, but in that game you kind of do want the chaos of what people can do and just kind of like more card triggers uh, because the way it works is everyone plays a card and then you like whatever number you played one on the countdown that things happen so you want more things to happen so the game feels more exciting i think kind of similar to libertalia as well i'd say um i have fun every time i play that game it's actually a quick snappy game but it feels like a complete game you're actually playing a complete game even though the your inputs are simple basically you play like about nine or ten cards the whole game and that's kind of it but they kind of avalanche a little bit into further decisions uh like i say really um i enjoy that game um i think it works perfectly mission red planet um <clears throat> Sorry, my number two is Lorenzo Il Magnifico uh, with the expansion. I don't think you can play it five player without the expansion. No, it's just four. Um, no, no, yeah, yep. It is one of those games that I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty good at three and four. Like it's fun, but that five player count adds in that like real frustration factor, and it <laughs> turns it into a much higher level puzzle to me because. Not only are you juggling like the cards that you want to get for point values and your engine, you're also juggling what order do you want to do it because there's more people to take your card, more people to be in your tower to make it so you can't afford that, more people to take your worker placement spots. Um, it is an exercise in frustration, so if it's not if that's not something you're into, I wouldn't recommend it. But for me, I think five players for that game is actually quite fun. Yeah, I actually considered that game and Terra Mystica, and I think the frustration factor that you were talking about is very high for me. So, uh, 
yeah, it's really rough if you're last in a five-player game in Lorenzo, and it makes the first-player uh, action very attractive. Actually, if you're if you're fifth, way more attractive than in a three-player game because the pain of being last in those games is just kind of like ah. So it it's it it kind of increases the frustration a little bit too much for me, but it's really fun. Yeah, you know. Um, he- they, they add another tower in the expansion. That's how they make it work really well with five players. There's another tower that generates uh, cards from kind of like all the towers. Uh, and it's... I would only play this five players if every player has played the game several times and is quick because it could really drag if yes. you're playing with people that are AP heavy or just learning the game. And that would be actually an awful experience for them if they come in to play Lorenzo for the first time they're playing five players. But I do agree with you, Justine. Like It is a good, solid five-player game with the right players, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Number one. All right, so my number one is Amun Ray. And this is actually an easy pick for me because it's like one of those games that I will throw in my bag come game night because it works so well at five. And I would even say that I would rather not play it at any other player count but five because there's spots on the board that won't come out in a in a four or three player game. So I would rather prefer prefer this game at five. It's from Reiner Knizia. It has a, an Egyptian theme on it, if you couldn't tell by the name. Amun-Ray is a god. And it's uh, area majority, area influence, and bidding. And it has several phases where you're bidding on these spots um, on the board to be able to build up things and score. Uh, this is the game that has always made me confused about other bidding games because the way that the bidding works in this is if you get outbid in a spot first of all you have to wait till it's your turn again and second of all you can't go to that spot again you have to go to a different spot before you could ever go back there and i my brain always puts this in other games like oh do you have to wait for your turn if you get your spot stolen from you in most games it's not but i think that this works really well because if somebody is after the person that takes your spot and then all of a sudden you get to go to a different spot uh you're they're kind of cheated out of you know a placement turn until like it it like until you're done i don't know i think it, the the auction bidding for this works really well and i i just i there's a lot of like top decky things that could happen in it but i find it really fun and that's Amun ray and i believe that's justine's number one as well it is, and I would just add it is snappy too. So with five, it's just incredibly fast. I don't think it takes any longer than like a four-player game would. Right, I think I agree with that. From going from four to five in this game doesn't add that much time at all. Yeah, uh, to me, it's kind of a game that's really designed for five, and it works really well. Yeah, it's another auctioning game, which I think they shine at probably five or six. Uh, my first, uh, my, my number one is uh, Hansa Teutonica. Uh, Hansa Teutonica, I think I've talked about it previously. To me, it's kind of like a masterpiece of very kind of essential board game design. 
where the game is very minimal components wise but the playing the game and the strategy is kind of uh fascinating uh I think I was actually thinking uh, about the changes from going through from a three-player game, for example, to a five-player game. I think uh, you end up sl splitting points. There's kind of a pool of points, really, on the board, and you kind of split them more ways um, in a five-player game. So you end up with lower scores overall. Uh, however, I think it works really well I think it doesn't really increase that much in playtime, um, and it's the 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 game works just as well with three and, and with five. And I think um, I like it at any player count. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain what the game is. Uh, the the theme of it is extremely boring. You're making offices and establishing the Hanseatic League, and you're making routes to establish these offices and. But that's kind of it. Uh, really, what it is is you're kind of like uh, network building, and you're doing engine building or like on your board, and you power up these actions that you can take, and it's kind of like a really exponential game in some ways. Um, very interactive, very blocky. It's like the essential German blocking game. Uh, like I say, I, I, it's like one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, works really well with five. I play it with five. And Hansa Teutonica. I forgot all about this game. I love Hansa Teutonica. In fact, uh, it's going to be an honorable mention right now. Uh, speaking of which, do you guys have honorable mentions? <laughs> uh, usually I do, but not so much this time, actually. Um, I looked at a bunch of, actually, uh, area control games. Area control is another uh game type which i think benefits from a higher player count you kind of want a lot of people to be fighting for stuff for the game to be exciting i think they're less exciting at two or three than with four or five i'd say like i eliminated del grande for example as a game which could have made it um maybe some other ones like kemet or whatever i think they work really well with five the thing with those games is sometimes it does increase uh your play time so like they work well but it also adds like another half an hour to an hour of game time sometimes not so much with Kemet and Yell Grande but I'd say something like Eclipse or like a larger game I'm not sure if I want the higher player count because of play time but that's kind of my honorable mentions is a bunch of very control games for lack of a better summarization um I guess my only honorable mention would be Euphoria it goes up to six and I think it's fine at five or six. I usually don't like to play those kind of games at six, and I probably would shy away from it, but it's not the worst. Kind of a fun little dice game. The theme's hilarious. Yeah, Hristo's got a good hilarious. point. It's getting less so. Hristo's got a good point with area majority or area control games. Uh, a lot of them work really well at five. I would say Battle for Rokugan. I actually like at five a lot. Um, it just makes the board kind of feel smaller, and I think that's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. I looked at that as well. That was an option for me. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for dealing with our lower quality this time. Uh, rate us on the platform that you're listening to. We'd highly appreciate that. And you could visit uh, our website. It's cardsandcubes.com. 
You can visit our social media pages. Those are all just cards and cubes. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing our theme. Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. You can find her at Cat Coffee. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E on Instagram. Also, we'd like to mention Demolition Games in Salt Lake City. They're still open. So if you need board games and you're in the Salt Lake City area, go get some board games and support these stores. Cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, and Rabble, 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 a humorous look at current events. You could find these podcasts wherever podcasts are found, and we will see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning in.